0: Today, we are going on with this series that I am calling Rewind. And this is a series that is working backwards through the Gospel of John. So if you were with us at the beginning, I started this series at that very last scene before Jesus was brought to the cross. Conversation between Jesus and Pilate. And we've been going one step backwards at a time from that moment back in the Gospel of John, to see and to note all of the ways in these stories in John that Jesus is preparing his people for what's coming. He's trying to prepare his disciples for the cross that will be coming. And we're doing that with a particular view of even though Jesus is working with his disciples for an event that is coming, We're reading that through the lens of people who live after, the way that Jesus even now focuses our attention back to the cross and what he does and what he says and the lessons that he teaches and the interactions that he has with people. All those things that somehow point us back to the cross. So we're going to keep doing that working backwards today. Now, uh, before I read this story, I want to make just a, a note that maybe gives us a little context around this. If you're familiar with the Bible, you know then that the stories of Jesus in particular come in what we call the Gospels. And if you're familiar with the Bible, you know that there are four of those Gospels in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Maybe you didn't know that there are more than that, that didn't make it into the Bible. That's a discussion for another day. But the four that we have that made the final list into the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, three of those four are all under a title of what scholars call the Synoptic Gospels. And synoptic is a Greek word that simply means same view. And that's the first three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are all Gospels that tell a lot of the same stories of Jesus, just from a little bit different perspective. But you find a lot of repeat in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Then there's John. John, in particular, is a Gospel that takes a completely different perspective, has his own point of view that reads into the life of Jesus. And gives a different viewpoint for us to see Jesus. Now, I'm highlighting that because the story today has a context. A context that if you were to look in Matthew and Mark and Luke, you find a whole different story there. It's the story of the Last Supper. That story when Jesus with his disciples in Jerusalem gather in that guest house in the upper room and they have the Passover meal together because it was the time when Jewish people celebrated the festival of Passover. And it was at that meal that Jesus takes this Passover meal and then he repurposes it to become what we now call communion or the Last Supper or some Christian traditions refer to it as the Eucharist, that meal where you have the bread and the juice, that meal where you you find in Matthew and in Mark and in Luke those words that we repeat whenever we do communion together, that Jesus breaks the bread and gives the cup and says, do this in remembrance of me. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all have that story in it. John does not. There's no Last Supper story in John. But the story that we're going to read today takes place at that same gathering. Many biblical scholars think, anyway, that it was at this same event, this same meal. John doesn't say anything about the breaking of the bread and the pouring of the cup and doesn't say anything about that. But he does call just one event out an event that none of the other three gospel writers mention at all. They skip it. Only John talks about it. So while Matthew, Mark, and Luke all have this meal that Jesus takes and turns into what we know as a sacrament, a sacrament being a symbol of God's covenant with us, and in our church, we have two sacraments, and communion is one of them that symbol of God's grace and his covenant. John tells another story at that same gathering, and this is a story which, oddly enough, also connects to a sacrament. Not the communion, not the Last Supper, but the other sacrament, the different one. See if you can spot that in this story as it comes to us, okay? This is John chapter 13, as Jesus is gathered with his disciples. Here's what it says. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist, After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drawing them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet their whole body is clean and you are clean though not every one of you for he knew who was going to betray him and that was why he said not everyone was clean when he had finished washing their feet he put his put on his clothes and returned to his place do you understand what i have done for you no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Washing feet. Uh, we better spend a minute or two just thinking about that Action, the the activity that took place in this story and, and how that comes to us. The way that Jesus does this act of washing his disciples' feet and how they reacted to that and what we can learn from that today. Now, maybe we find the entire story to be odd. Odd because that's not something we do in our culture. And maybe we strike that as as odd that that the disciples seem to react that way too, of this can't be happening. This is not normal. This is not what is supposed to take place. But let's take a moment and consider just a little bit of what foot washing meant in that time and in that place for Jesus and for his disciples in that culture. So, remember a couple of things. Let's remember first of all they are in Israel. Israel is a dry place. The climate is there. So it's dusty, it's dirty. They don't have sidewalks and pavement and roads in that way. They don't drive around in vehicles where they're completely enclosed inside of a inside of a car. Anywhere they go, they walk. And they're walking in the dirt, the dusty dirt. Let's remember also that they wear sandals, so their feet are open, not socks and shoes like we typically wear today. So, in any of these pictures that you see uh, that are trying to depict like Bible times, that show people you know all dressed up with their sandals on, and their feet are always cleaned. That's not true, right? If you see an accurate picture of what it was really like to live back then. If you saw them, you would see feet that are filthy because just walking around from place to place in the dirt with your sandals on, you would get dirty feet every single day, all the time. Anywhere you go, your feet get dirty. That's an accurate picture of what it was like back then. So, so it was common when you would come in at the end of the day for, for that last meal, the final meal, when you come into the house you would wash your feet because your feet are filthy. That was the common practice that everyone would do. Now, let's add into this, that in that time, there, in the Middle East culture at that time, there, there's an expectation of hospitality that is a bit beyond our understanding, too. When we travel to places, we typically stay in hotels or things like that, but they had nothing like that back then. So when Jesus and his disciples go to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover, there is an expectation that the people who already live there will invite guests into their homes and host them. That's what happens. And if you're familiar with the story that Jesus and his disciples, they're in Jerusalem and and they uh, they find someone who has a room that he can let out for them. So they all stay in this upper room together. They're being hosted there. Somebody else owns that. Now, it was part of that culture, part of that practice, that the host then would be the one who provides for the foot washing. I I imagine like the regular, regular households, you come in and you wash your own feet. You take care of that. But when you are a guest in somebody else's house, you don't wash your own feet. Somebody else does that for you. Somebody else takes care of that. At the same time, even though you have a host who's having you into their own home, it's not the host who's going to do this because that's a dirty job that nobody wants. Wash other people's feet as they come in? So it would be typical that That job would be assigned to the lowest of your household servants, whatever staff you have in your house. The lowest one on the rung of seniority, that's the one that's your job. You are the one who has to be by the door with the water, washing the feet of the guests as they come in. That was common. They expected it. Everyone in that culture and in that time expected this practice to take place. In fact, it doesn't say anything about it in the Bible, but it would have been very likely that the disciples' feet would have already been washed when they came to this meal. That someone, the lowest servant in the household, would have already done that as they came in. So Jesus is not necessarily doing this because their feet are still dirty, but he's making a point. He's trying to teach something. I don't know how exactly we can maybe put that into something that fits our day because we don't do that anymore. We we don't wash feet when coming into, okay, maybe when your kids are really little and they were out playing in the backyard, it's like, don't you dare walk on my carpet with those feet. But, it's not a commonplace thing for us as adults anymore to have that habit of whenever we enter a house after being out that we have to have feet washed because, as I say, we've got sidewalks and pavement and we wear socks and shoes and we don't get dirty like that. So what, what could we imagine then that maybe gives us a feel for how the disciples would have been receiving this? What would that feel like? A few weeks back, uh, I was at a conference that took place over the space of five days. So I, I was in a different town, and everyone who was gathered for the conference, we all, we all had to stay in a hotel that was there. One of those hotels where you know they serve breakfast in the lobby, and then you're out. And so we would have the habit of, yep, we get up in the morning and go have our breakfast and, in the lobby, and then head out to the conference and do that. There were other guests staying at the hotel, too, of course. Um, But one of the things that I think, especially since the time of the pandemic, has become a little more common is that hotels now don't automatically send in housekeeping every day if you're staying multiple days, right? It's becoming a little more typical now that if you want housekeeping to come into your hotel room every single day, you have to ask for it. you can, if you ask the desk. Hey, you know, I could use some new towels, right? Whatever. They'll do that. But I think there was a time ago when that was automatic. If, if you've traveled and you know that, right? You go back a number of years, and if you stayed at a hotel for more than one night, you just knew and you assumed some point during the day housekeeping is going to come in and take care of things, right? I, I'll come back to the room, and the bed will be made, and the bathroom will be cleaned up, and all fresh towels are going to be there. Someone is going to come in and do that without me having to ask or request it. It's just going to happen. But that's not happening anymore, or at least it wasn't happening at the hotel that I was in a few weeks ago. It had to be requested. So one of these mornings, I'm, I'm down with the group of people I'm with, and we're at breakfast, and it's the lobby where the tables are all kind of close together there. and There's another group of people having breakfast at the table right next to ours, right next to us. They're other guests, but they were strangers. We didn't know who they were. and Overheard their rather loud conversation about feeling a little bit slighted that they had to ask for housekeeping to come into their room. That it didn't just happen. It wasn't automatic. Maybe from that time of when it was a regular habit and and you just got used to it or accustomed to it and you expected it to take place. I'm a paying guest at this hotel. Part of that means that isn't housekeeping supposed to come in every day and take care of those things? I expect that to happen. Now, what if in that moment I would have leaned over from the other table and said to them, hey, you know what, I don't know who you are, but see, you you want your room cleaned up, I'll come do that for you. I, I, one of the other guests, will come and I will make your bed for you and I'll clean up the bathroom for you. I'll take care of that for you. Creepy, right? (laughs) If that were to happen, and, and I did not do that, by the way. But creepy in the sense of, oh, All right, now catch yourself there. On the one hand, you know what? This is something I kind of expected to take place. But on the other hand, whoa, not by you. You're not the one. The expectation was, you know, that housekeeping staff, who, again, they are complete strangers, right? And they are coming into the room, And doing the same thing. But there was an expectation, an expectation that this is something that is supposed to happen, but it's someone else who's supposed to be serving me, not one of the other guests. You catch something of that now? Now imagine, here's the disciples. That's the moment they're sitting in, right there. The moment of You know, we know this is an expected thing, but wait a minute, not you. You're not the one. You're not supposed to be doing this. Not one of the other guests, and certainly not the other guest who we call rabbi, teacher, Lord. That's not your job. It's somebody else's job. That's where the disciples are sitting in that moment. So Jesus catches them at a time when All right, there is a very teachable moment happening right here because his disciples are completely turned around. What in the world is this that Jesus is doing? And he catches them with that. So that's where the lesson comes in for what Jesus is about to do. All right, I'm going to trace some of the conversation that takes place in this especially when it comes up to Peter, because Peter is the one who responds. Peter, of course, Peter. He's the impulsive one who always opens his mouth and says something, often without thinking about it first. Peter is the one who replies. Now, Jesus is using this moment to prepare his disciples. Prepare his disciples for what he, Jesus, is about to do, to go to the cross, and what that means. His disciples don't get it yet, but that's what, that's what he's preparing them for. So let, let's trace that conversation then. In verse 6, it's Peter who replies. Peter is the one who says, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? But let's look at this through the lens of Jesus, okay? Because we know that Jesus is symbolically up to something else. It's not just about washing their feet. It's about what he does at the cross. So really, this is the question that Peter is asking, at least where the story takes us. This is the question that Peter's really after. Peter himself doesn't know it, but he's asking, Lord, are you going to the cross for me? Are you going to do this for me? Are you the one who's going to do that? Verse 7, Jesus replies. This is what he says then, right? You do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you'll understand. Right? That's our clue that he's really talking about going to the cross here. Jesus is. Peter shoots back then. The beginning of verse 8. No, you shall never wash my feet, but... Let's keep it with where Jesus is taking the story, really what Peter is saying here, because Peter doesn't get it yet. Peter is saying, no, you shall never go to the cross for me. You're not the one who has to do that. I expect somebody to take care of all the guilt that I'm carrying, the sin. Now, in the Old Testament system, there were animal sacrifices for that. Jesus, to be the one to take that? Peter says, wait a minute. You're not the one who's supposed to do that. You shouldn't do that. Jesus replies then, unless I wash you, you have no part of me. So Jesus is making this clear. The only way you become clean is through Jesus. The only way, the only hope for salvation, the only hope we have for redemption is for Jesus to go to the cross for us. That's what Jesus is doing in this moment. That's what he's teaching his disciples and those who come after. That's what he's teaching us in the church. The only hope we have is for Jesus to do this for us, to go to the cross. Now then, let's look at the response that comes next. Then, then Peter says, okay then, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Now here's a confusing reply that Jesus gives to this. He says, all right, those who've had a bath only need to wash their feet their whole body is clean. And you are clean. And then he makes a little nod towards Judas, who's going to betray him. Now, I, you know, I might have expected in that moment with what Jesus is trying to teach his disciples, that only Jesus can go to the cross for them. They can only be cleaned because of Jesus. I might have expected a, a moment of affirmation. Yep, Peter, you're right. You do need to be washed head to toe, top to bottom, because the stain of sin that we all carry is something that we carry in our entire being. So you do need to be completely washed. I would have expected some answer like that. But here Jesus is taking the story and turning it just a little bit about already having a bath. So you only need your feet to be washed. What is Jesus after that, in that story? Why does he say only your feet need to be washed? Well, here's where I think the, the symbol of the metaphor brings us to a little bit of a different place in understanding. We talk about what Jesus did for us on the cross. We talk about that in ways where we understand that only Jesus can do that, and Jesus did that once. Once was enough. For Old Testament Israelites, this would have been a new thing. Uh, And the New Testament book of Hebrews talks about this. Talks about the difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. That in the Old Testament, those sacrifices happened over and over and over again. You had to keep repeating those sacrifices because you were always dirty, guilty of your sin. But Jesus is saying, I'm going to be one sacrifice. One sacrifice that counts once and for all. Once I do that one sacrifice, you are clean and you are clean forever. For eternity. That bath, then, that takes place is the justification that we receive when Jesus gives us his perfect righteousness at the cross. That bath that he refers to. And bath there is our nod towards that other sacrament, the sacrament of baptism, which we still practice in our churches today, baptism. And we still say in our church practice of baptism that baptism is something that we receive one time. That you get one baptism. And the reason we do one baptism is because of this. Because Jesus gave himself on the cross once for all. And it stays. That righteousness of Christ stays with us for all eternity. One time. We call that, in, in our church theology, we call that Justification that we are justified before God because of what Jesus did on the cross. And it's all of what Jesus did on the cross. Nothing that we do. Nothing that we bring to it. It is the grace of God and only the grace of God that brings that. That's what Jesus is referring to. But then he says, okay, so you're already clean because that one sacrifice, that one bath is going to take place and it's going to be complete and you will never need it again. You will always be clean because of it. But then he goes on to say, but we still wash our feet. There's still something that we regularly do that, that in our life of following Jesus as people of faith, that we also have this thing that we call sanctification that goes side by side with justification. Justification is what God does and God does alone by his grace. Sanctification is the Holy Spirit working in us. Continually, it's ongoing to conform us into the image of Christ. That is that daily walk of faith that you and I take every single day to know God more, to more and more figure out what it means for us to be the people he created us to be that we are people then who still see the effects of sin in our life. We do. And we are people that when we are convicted of that sin that we see in our life, that, that we repent, we turn to God, we ask forgiveness, and that we strive to live as better people. That is a continual journey. Now, none of that counts against us as guilt because Jesus has already taken the guilt of that away. But, We are still people who walk that journey of sanctification. We still have to wash our feet or have our feet washed, even though the rest of us is clean. Making sense how that comes together, how Jesus is putting these two things together for us. Um, Maybe we think of it this way of Friday was kind of a nice day. I don't know who went to a car wash on Friday. You know, your car was all sparkly clean by Friday night. Then there was yesterday, it snows and it rains and it sleets and now this morning you would never know that my car was clean on Friday. It always does that right after you go to a car wash, right? That's sort of how that feels, that, all right, you can keep washing your car over and over again on the outside, but it's, you're always going to find more dirt that collects up and goes there and... There's a need to keep washing it over and over. Sanctification sort of feels like that for us. Right? That, that we can do that work of figuring out where it is that we can see sin in our own lives and strive to be better people, but you turn around and look the next day and, wow, I'm still dirty. It's all back again. I need to keep working on that. That's sanctification as it works forward for us. One more thing, though, before we before we go from this story, that it, it's not only there what God does for us and teaches us in that, but he leaves this with a particular command. I've set before you an example that you would do the same thing, that you should do as I have done for you. So not only are we people who have our feet washed by Jesus, but now there's this thing about, and I want you to wash one another's feet. There are some faith traditions that actually take this literally. It's part of their practice to actually wash each other's feet physically when they gather from time to time. We understand the metaphor of this, that this isn't really about having physically clean feet. But we understand what Jesus is doing here, that he's putting himself in a posture of humility to serve those by doing whatever he can for them by giving himself for them, by putting himself in that place where he will be the one who serves them, even though they did not expect it. They didn't deserve it, but he does that anyway. So, one thing we can pull out of this to take this week then. One thing I can intentionally do or add to my routine this week that Will wash another's feet, Um, symbolically. You don't have to really go wash somebody else's feet, but follow the symbolism there. That what Jesus did for his disciples was, he did an act of service that they never would have expected or saw coming. That he served someone who never thought that they should be served by him. So, think about what that might be. What's the one step you can take this week towards that? to do an unexpected act of service to lift someone else up. Think about it that way. Because here's the thing. We live in a world where so much of our world moves in the other direction. That we live in a world where our world is supposed to be about winning. I'm supposed to be the best. And the way for me to win, the way for me to be the best, is that other people have to lose. The way for me to be on top is that other people have to be pushed down. What's one action, one thing this week where you can identify to say, you know what, I'm going to turn this one around. Instead of me having to be the one on top, I'm going to lift up someone else. Make it something you would not ordinarily do because you know what, I think if we think through the uh, activities of our week, you might be able to identify plenty of that already. That we are people who already in various places will say, yeah, there's... There's plenty of people that I serve, that I lift up. My challenge here is to, to identify one that you're not already doing. Pick one more to put in there. One more that you can add that they'll never see it coming, but you will lift them up. Why? Why pick one more? Why, why go out of your way to, to make one more thing in your routine to do that? Well, Primarily because, first of all, in this story, that's good for us. We learn something from that. It's not just about what we're doing to serve somebody else. But it's about what God is teaching us. Because in that moment of service, there's a prayer that can go with that. A moment of service where I can give that prayer that as I engage in whatever that act of service might be that I can pray, Holy Spirit, use this action to conform me into the image of Christ. Just as Christ does this for the ones He loves, as Christ did what He did for us, may we be people who then also give an action for others. And may that be action then that actually works in our own hearts as well as lifts up somebody else. May that be action that turns our hearts, turns our attention towards the cross. A reminder of what Jesus did for us. Let's pray together. God, thank you for the gift of your word and the rich stories that we see in there and the lessons that we've out of that. And God, as we see this example here again today of the way that the disciples had their feet washed and it felt like such an unusual event for them, may that be the reminder for us today as well of how you have made us clean. That we are forever clean before you. And that we then work through this journey of discipleship to more and more be conformed into your image as you've called us and enabled us to be Lord help us to do that and to do that well for your glory for your kingdom for the sake of those that we reach out to and serve but also that you may continually be working in us by your Holy Spirit as you desire to do